Hey, I'm Duffy Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 51. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... This is Zach. And this is Donovan. And we are bringing the latest comic news from the past two weeks, as well as comic reviews of the past two weeks. we got a lot of stuff to go over, so let's get right into comic news. I just want to ask you a few questions. First thing we've got is on September 9th, Newsroom posts up an interview with J.H. Williams III talking about his writing skills for the upcoming Batwoman series. Although issue one will not hit stores until early next year, Batwoman number zero will hit stores this November. So I will read for Newsarama, and Zach will read for J.H. Williams. J.H., does Bruce's return affect your run on Batwoman? Yes, Bruce is going to have an impact on what's going on, so all of that will be reflected in Batwoman. It was a little tricky to find a way to play a part in DC's plans without destroying what we're planning on doing with the character, but I think we've managed to do that. For people who are familiar with Batwoman, at what point do we pick up her story? I'm treating it as if time has passed since the end of the last story eulogy. I wanted her to have moved forward since then. I wanted to write it as if things have been going on that we just haven't witnessed yet, so we're picking up a little bit after the end of eulogy. I think it would make sense to the reader that her life is continuing and she's doing her thing, and now we're getting to peek in on her again. There seems to be a lot of Batman titles coming when Bruce returns. Are you coordinating a lot with the other Batman writers, or is the editor pretty much the go-to guy for the coordination? Yeah, he's pretty much the go-to guy for most of it. The fine line we're trying to walk is to be a part of the Gotham City and the DCU and acknowledge that without losing sight of the fact that Batwoman's book should have its own voice. Of course, I think all the titles should strive for that, but it's good to have a cohesiveness when you all exist in the same world. We're trying to make sure of that. If you read Batwoman, you're getting a unique voice and story that you can't really get in any other Batman title. And I think that's the goal of all the Batman titles. The last time we talked, you thought you'd be incorporating Flamebird into the story. Is that going to happen? Yes, some interesting things will be happening there and that hopefully people will be entertained by. All right, so that's the interview. Interesting enough, we included that last question because, well, we saw at the end of the Greg Rucka, J.H. Williams run, Flamebird saying she wanted to be involved, and we haven't heard anything about it since. So it's, I thought it would be interesting whether or not Flamebird would actually appear in the series. Gentlemen! Let's broaden our minds. All right, so moving into the next bit of news we've got. On September 13th, NewsRoman posts an interview with Patrick Gleason. Starting in November, Gleason will be teaming with Peter Tomasi and Batman Robin and will be taking over the art duties. This time, Donovan will read for NewsRoman and I will read for Patrick Gleason. Pete said he called you immediately to work with him on this book. What did you think when you heard about it? Well, when he first brought it up, I was deeply entrenched in Blackest Night. My first thought was, wow, that would be really cool. Let me think about it. I was probably on a string of sleepless nights and up to my eyeballs and zombies and green lanterns. The real sad fact for me at the time was that I would have to leave my beloved core and be dropped into unknown territory on Batman Robin. It took some time to make the decision, but ultimately I felt good that I had left some sort of mark on the Green Lantern Corps, and it was time to move on to a new challenge and a new frontier. After that, I pretty much geeked out. Do you draw Dick differently as Batman than you would if Bruce was in the costume? 
Definitely, I've always been a Nightwing fan too. I particularly remember enjoying Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel's run. Scott gave Nightwing's movements so much agility and precision. It always made each page interesting to look at. Obviously, I don't think I can go quite that route with Dick as Batman now, but I do see him carrying himself with more style and maneuvering in riskier ways than Bruce would. Drawing two men playing the same bat is an interesting opportunity too. I've always tried to direct any of my characters to have their own expressions and body language. It's really important to me not to have a bunch of generic, mass-produced heroes and villains running around, all scowling the same, all fighting the same, all jumping, flipping, eating ice cream the same. Each one has to stand out as an individual. They have to embody a real personality, and that comes out so many different ways. So ultimately, my goal was that if you see Bruce Wayne as Batman and Dick Grayson as Batman next to each other eating ice cream, you, the reader, would be able to tell the difference. Is this your first time drawing Damien? How are you approaching the character? It's my first time drawing Damien, but it's not my first time drawing Robin. I did the covers for Robin way back when I was first starting out on Green Lantern Corps. Those were actually some of my favorite covers I got to do. I used to call drawing them my vacation. But now I do realize that these are two different Robins. I'm sure I'm like most people. I kind of hated Damien at first, but the little twerp has really grown on me. And now he's such a cool little twerp. There are a handful of those great characters that an artist gets to draw that really keep things fun and fresh. Plus, I think there's something interesting to all of us about that guy in a room that struts a little too much or carries himself differently. We all like to keep an eye on them. So when I was thinking about approaching Damien, I think it could have been a lot of my approach to Guy Gardner. I have a longer leash artistically on things like attitude and facial expressions. There are a lot of similarities that I can see in them, so there's some real fun to be had with Damien. So that's the interview. Again, nothing really newsworthy. You're going to melt just like a grilled cheese sandwich. Alright, so the next thing we've got is from September 15th. Comic Books Resources had posted an interview with Adam Beechin talking about his current work on the Batman Beyond miniseries. Obviously, Adam Beechin is no stranger to the Batman universe, as he has not only written comics, but also TV episodes within the universe as well. As far as the highlights, he had to say about using Hush as the main protagonist in the series... Starting off with a character from existing Batman continuity, that's never been a part of the series. That's your first connection right there. So from the get-go, we were looking at that idea. The beauty of the Hush character is that the general MO of the character is that he's a guy that wears bandages and a trench coat, and his past schemes have seemed to involve using Batman's enemies, and in some cases, his friends, against him. There are any number of people that could adopt that mentality or say, this guy had it right. I'm going to do it that way. Or who's to say it's not Tommy Elliot himself? We were able to tell the backstory in two or three pages for that one issue while at the same time telling another backstory about Hush, how Hush disappeared from Batman's life years ago. And as far as on when we are going to find out who Hush is... You're going to find out on the last page of this issue, issue four, who this Hush is. We need to know because it gives us a chance to put together the third act and the kind of finale that we need to really end this story right. If we were to save the reveal all the way to the last page of the last issue, it'd be more of a cliffhanger than an ending. We want to give this story the ending it deserves and the space it deserves. Obviously, we're going to be reviewing Batman Beyond number four shortly. Talk about what he was referring to. Stay cool, bad boy. All right, so the next thing we've got is from September 15th as well. Comic Resources talk with Howard Chaikin about Batman, Catwoman, Follow the Money, One Shot. Uh, not only is Chaikin writing it, but he's also draw drawing it as well. 
As far as why the Cavalier is being used in the one-shot, he said, I love the character. I was a Gold Age collector when I was a boy and always loved the character. When I was younger, I used to love Cavalier cigarettes, which is a brand you no longer remember. And I love <laughs> Three Musketeers. It's my favorite candy bar. So I love the Cavalier. He's a great goofy character that I think is underused. And as far as on what money has to do with the series, it's a story that takes place predominantly in the realm of Wayne Industries, the Bruce Wayne business, and how that impacts directly and indirectly on both Bruce Wayne and his life as Bruce Wayne, and his life as Batman interact, and how that plays out for Batman. So that were just really the only highlights from the interview. And I can't even, I don't even know that those are really highlights. Yeah, I know. All right, so the next bit of news we also have is from September 15th. Newsarama was able to catch up with Brian Q. Miller. Miller obviously has been writing Batgirl since the series began over a year ago. This month marks the 13th issue, which in theory starts off year two of Batgirl's story. So for this interview, Donovan will read for Newsarama and Zach will read for Brian Q. Miller. How does the next overall tone of the comic change as you head into the next year? Now, as we enter the next year of issues, things are going to be a little more chaotic for Batgirl and a little more dangerous for her. Her tone won't change. You won't see Steph going hardcore on people, and there will still be lightness and humor in the book. But the situations will be a little more dangerous. You've also established a supporting cast for the character. Will that continue into her second year? Absolutely. Everyone who's been established as Steph's supporting cast will continue in the book. There were some people we set up early in the first six issues who dropped out for the last that last run, like Francisco and Jordana. But you always had Babs and the addition of Wendy, who will continue to be a big part of the book. In the second year, we'll see more of Steph in college than you did in the first year. There isn't as much meet and greet with the Bat family, so that gives us a chance to flesh out Stephanie's life at college. You'll see more Francisco and more Jordana. You'll see her mom more as we play her up her home life and you'll see some new characters too the next storyline beginning in november is called the lesson what can you tell us about the mysterious order of the scythe that shows up in the storyline they are the source of a lot of her problems in the next big run they'll be the thorn in her side in year two does stephanie interact with, with the two batman or any of these other heroes running now that the new batman books are being added there aren't that many people that will wander through, especially given how heavy we were in the past year with other guest stars from the Bat family coming in to challenge her role. Since she's kind of cemented it at this point, they'll leave her alone for the most part. That said, I'm going to try to get Damian Wayne in there at some point once or twice. There will also be some DC guest stars coming in throughout the course of the year, so we're kind of broadening her connections with the hero community at large. You play chicken long enough, you fry. So then the last thing we've got is we have another interview with Howard Chaikin. This time it was on September 17th with Newsarama. So I will read for Howard Chaikin and Zach will read for Newsarama. Howard, what's the idea behind this one shot? It's about money. One of the problems is in describing this is that this job is a three and a half or four years old. It was inspired by events that were happening four or five years ago, before the Empire collapsed. It's about how money impacts the lives of Bruce Wayne and Batman and Selina Kyle and Catwoman, and ultimately how their lives are brought to an intersection in this regard by an action taken by the Cavalier. It's a fun romp. It takes place in a Gotham of my creation, and it features Bruce and Selina almost as much as it features Batman and Catwoman. What's your version of the Cavalier like? He's very much the old school Cavalier. A guy who's part of Bruce Wayne's social set who supports his presence in that social set through a life of crime. How does the Cavalier fit into the story? Does he mess with Bruce Wayne's monetary security? 
enormously. And that messing is what ultimately is the inciting incident that creates the problem for Batman. My interpretation of what I wrote is it's Selina's life as a criminal that makes it possible for her to articulate what it is that could ultimately be the, the end result if Batman does not interfere with the royal screwing the Cavaliers giving to Bruce Wayne's life. You mentioned that the story is three or four years old. Did you draw the story that long ago? Absolutely. I think it was originally supposed to be for The Brave and the Bold. It's, it's two 22-page issues combined into one issue. I'm glad to see it coming out finally. People who have known about its existence would have been wondering where the heck was it, and I couldn't answer because I, I didn't have a clue. But now it's finally coming out, and I couldn't be more thrilled about it. So that's the end of that interview. But one thing I have to say is, you know, within this, this book doesn't come out till November. But what's really interesting is that this book doesn't come out till November, and we've read, now we've had two interviews within a week's time with this person talking about his thing, but we never, ever had anything about Sam Keith's Arkham Asylum Madness graphic novel that came out in June that just kind of came out and existed. We didn't hear any news, nobody talked about it, DC didn't really promote it. I don't understand what the deal with that was. I like that um, they have. Which version of the Cavalier is this? I know Cavalier was an old school uh, bat villain, but it's not like saying which version of Two Face or which version of Riddler. Like which version of the Cavalier? Because we don't want to know. I still kind of think he's a, he's an obscure Batman villain. So I mean, I know he's been in more stories. Which version of the Cavalier? Like that that kind of entertains me. If someone would care that much about that character. Looks like a slow night, Alfred. When I finish patrolling this area, I'm heading home. Excellent timing, Master Bruce. I've just taken dinner out of the oven. <laughs> Looks like trouble at Tarnower Financial, Alfred. I won't be home early after all. <sighs> Please don't take this the wrong way, sir, that your goose is cooked. All right, so that's all the news. Let's get into our comic views. We're going to start off with Batgirl number 13. Before you throw everyone in a pot, Penguin, you may find yourself in hot water. Batgirl, how did you find this place? I just adore weddings, Penguin. Well, funerals before weddings, Batgirl. Get her! Batgirl issue 14, a nice little romp with Supergirl and some vampires. Not the actual title, but it is the gist of the story. Batgirl and Supergirl in the opening pages are getting choked by a vampire, which causes Supergirl to make a that's what she said joke and ask if pillow fighting sounded better. What's this? Well, I guess we'll have to rewind the find out. And rewind we do the Stephanie playing Scrabble with her mother. And Stephanie doesn't really seem to be that into it. When a knock comes from the door, it's, uh, Stephanie's only too eager to answer it. She comes face to face with Supergirl, who wants to have some girl time. She changes into her civilian identity of Linda Lang, even though she's called Karen in this story, uh, in her civilian identity. Right before Mrs. Brown comes, Stephanie skips out on her mom to enjoy some time with Kara. Steph gives Kara a tour of Gotham University, which excites Kara, who only knows of college as it's portrayed in pop culture. So she's asking for pillow fights and keg parties and stuff like that. But the campus is showing some 3D old-school vampire movies, so they go to that instead. And due to some scientific doohickey stuff that is hard to explain, the vampires come out of the movie... But they can get destructed in one punch because they're unstable... So it was like a bunch of the Draculas were out there, so it, we basically get a montage, Scooby-Doo style almost, of Supergirl and Batgirl fighting the vampires in photo booths while they're having ice cream. You could practically hear the 70s chase music playing in the background as they're doing this over a montage. In the end, they go to the final Dracula, which is where we pick up with them getting choked. Oh, so that's what the pillow fight thing meant. 
obviously they defeat him with little to no problem because, hey, they haven't been portrayed as a big threat throughout the issue. Then they go home and have the said pillow fight, much to Kara's delight. Kara skips out before Mrs. Brown comes back upstairs, but not before the girls promise each other that if they're ever feeling alone, they'll call on each other. Mrs. Brown doesn't seem too upset that her daughter skipped down on her to spend some time with, you know, a friend instead, but asks her if she had fun with her friend, and we have that whole, like, winking at the panel moment. Oh, Mom, the best. All right, Joker. Get ready for a little bat magic. Batman number three, written by Fabian, illustrated by Cliff Richards. Gotham City, we begin on the on a splash page of the dynamic duo chasing an armored figure flying wind sail. Batman and Robin are chasing after this costume figure who's apparently stolen some things, so he's a thief. They swing down to the streets where the, the figure loses them in the sewers, and even though Robin says that he could have some sort of um, cloaking field or invisibility or some kind of teleportation device, Batman is like, yeah, don't, don't complicate things. He's just going through the sewers. Cut to the Batcave where we say, I told you he probably has some kind of device and robin starts chastising dick being so lax and that batman bruce wayne wouldn't let that person have escaped this reminds dick of an incident where uh, when he was back at robin he questioned bruce as to why he let a, a criminal escape and that criminal as we find out later was the getaway genius a golden slash silver age villain from the past aka roy reynolds and who was was basically like a high art um like a high scale thief He's saying that um, he's probably the most likely suspect around this case, as the villain they were chasing kind of had matched his M.O. They don't know how they can get to him until Red Robin, a.k.a. Tim Drake, comes into the Batcave and brings to them a newspaper with Vicky Vale's headline. They're, they bring up the idea that Vicky Vale's been closing in on the Bat family's secret identities, and so the next day, Grayson goes to her office and starts confronting her about these accusations. Vale pretty much insinuates, not strong, but infers, you know, she knows what's going on, but she's saying, I would rather talk to Bruce about this, but I've not seen He's been so busy, you know, with him being away. We get to a point where Dick just says, Vicky, there's no, what you think you can prove and what you can actually prove. And he pretty much gives away his secret identity. But before he does that, he slips a bat tracer on her backpack. Cut to a scene of a woman in a, a penthouse apartment referring to her father. And she's getting a tip for her next robbery, calling on the phone about it. Cut to the Batcave where Damian Wayne is exercising in a uh, gymnastics slash boxing arena, talking to Alfred. He's still saying, my father would never let that criminal go away, never, forever. And Alfred's like, do you think you know your father as well as you did, as well as he really was? He, he was too always trying to learn the truth, not just capture criminals. And this causes Damian to pause and say, well, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I, I don't really know how it was, or at least I'm assuming too much. The next night at the original Gaslight District, a bunch of people are dressed up in Victorian times as that is the activity for the evening. And while someone's taking a picture, they get their necklace stolen by a woman. Batman and Robin chase after them, and through some quick chasing and a left hook by Dick, they find out that this woman is the daughter of the original getaway genius, and though she's on the run, she's knocked out by Red Robin. Damien, again, questions why... Dick was so easy on her and Dick tells him about a story that flashed back when he was Robin about how when they were chasing the original getaway teenage years ago Batman let him get away Batman told Robin you know do you know what he was stealing and they all turned out to be chemotherapy drugs he he tells him that Reynolds was really just out there to see his family one time before he passed away from an illness and Dick says this to Damien you know Bruce wasn't always just the Grim Avenger he was somebody who tried to see the best in people and most famously he says no child should have to grow up without their parents this hits Damien hard because he He's growing up without his father right now. But he sticks as when Bruce comes back, you know, they'll have plenty of time to catch up and get to know each other better. We end the issue with Vicky Vale having a photograph of 
Batman, Robin, and Red Robin on roof, very, very strongly in, in, inferring that she knows who they are and even knows where the bat tracer that was on her briefcase stick put it on. And so she's saying, there is what you think and what you can prove. So now that you can prove it, what do you do next, Vicky Vale? You know something. Batman Odyssey number 3 of 12, written story and art by Neil Adams. We open with Alfred aiding Bruce with his wounds. Bruce mentions how he hates Harry Tree and shouldn't have let him get away, in which Alfred asks if Bruce feels he should have killed him. Bruce replies with a resounding yes. Alfred and Bruce quarrel back and forth for some time before Bruce settles down and begins to tell Alfred what had happened the night before. We then cut to where last issue ended with Batman laying on the ground with these two men arguing over who's going to shoot him in the face. Batman then whispers Alfred Pennyworth and the mercenary sees to shoot Batman in the face three times. As the guy is rejoicing, we learn through Bruce's narrative that he, in fact, had a transparent plastic shield protecting his head. And as the men stand in shock at, as he awakes and fights his way out of the compound, but methodically taking out every man one by one without using a gun, and we get several pages of that. Eventually, Robin comes swinging in and helps Batman finish them off. Mr. Gordon arrives with the Riddler in handcuffs, and we are led to believe that the Riddler is behind the stealing of the dinosaur exhibit piece. Gordon then questions this himself and explains that this was a private donation to the museum, which leads Batman to raise even more questions. And, of course, who walks in with Talia al Ghul explaining her father had donated the piece. Talia panics as soon as she sees Batman's wounds. They then share a sloppy kiss, which is how it is described in the book. Talia then begins to yell at Gordon for not having Batman treated already, and Gordon is so used to Batman not needing help that he doesn't know what to do. Batman then presents the question of who would be stupid enough to steal from Ra's al Ghul and something as stupid as this dinosaur. The Riddler continues to taunt Batman with his unsolved riddle until Batman figures out what this is all about. Someone was stealing water and using a hydrogen car, and Batman explains that somebody is playing with them all like puppets, but who could that be? That's to be continued. Batman, as one baker to another, how do you make a dishonest shortcake? Dishonest shortcake? There's strawberry shortcake. And blueberry shortcake. A dishonest shortcake. I've got it! Library. That would make it a dishonest shortcake. Right, Robin. Library. Clearly a corrupted version of the word library. Red Robin issue 16, written by Fabian, art by Marcus Toe. Issue starts off with the position that three teenagers have been killed by anarchy. These guys have been killed because he's trying to track down Robin and figure out who he is. And he mentions, as he did a couple of issues ago, that... Tim Drake was on the list. He was dropped off ever since that accident with Scarab, and which to the public left him temporarily crippled, so he's off the list of that. And we go back to um, the Bat headquarters where Robin is he's talking to, you know, Money Spider, which was the alias of Anarchy, the original Anarchy, Lonnie Macon, telling everybody who basically don't know about the characters, which is fine, about the history of the general who used to be one of Robin's arch nemeses back when Tim was Robin. They talk about Anarchy. It's also how the general became anarchy, and he's basically thinking, maybe I'm going to just switch up my hit list. This is this doesn't work. The next day, there is a uh, there's a press conference for Wayne Industries to have an outreach program and going international about a Neon Knights program. I think I assume it's a program for disenfranchised youths. While Tim pretty much expects somebody to ask to not even pay attention to that and either ask about his injuries or his engagement, Vicky Vale, you know, just asks about both and asks how the injuries affect his engagement. And he says, I'm not engaged. You know that. Check your sources, woman. He goes back to uh, the local diner where he has a lunch date with Sam Fox and as she knows his secret identity he's saying you've become very well adjusted to all this back time Red Robin this whole thing she says oh are you and I a thing Tim there's a little bit of tension there but before that can be resolved he gets a text from Money Spider letting him on about the next target 
the next victim from Anarchy. The general here is basically going on and on about how he's, he's smarter than Robin, smarter than Red Robin, smarter than Lonnie Macon ever was. And all this time, it should be said that Lonnie Macon is attached to this sort of like brain coma-inducing technical system. He's, he's, he's communicating through his thoughts through the internet, so that's how he's communicating through Red Robin. The next day, Anarchy is trying to get the jump on his latest victim when Red Robin tackles him from behind and a fight ensues. Red Robin pretty much takes him down easily, even temporarily paralyzing him through a nerd cluster. When Anarchy claims that he sets off a bomb where Lonnie Macon is and then he'll die if he doesn't get there within one minute, 60 seconds. Tim hotfoots it over there, figures out where it is, I, I, I assume it's due to the internet. While he's questioning if he unhooks Lonnie Macon, if he'll either kill him or the bomb will kill him, he figures that he's not breathing on his own. So he saves him and gets to the hospital just in time before the bomb goes off and just in time to save him from being unhooked from his machine. Tim goes back to to go over a building and watches over his old apartment where a new, a new couple is. And he, th- he thinks back to the murder of his father and when he was robbing how everything has changed since then. And he decides to swing over to, I guess it's Blackgate Prison or the prison that Captain Boomerang, who's just been resurrected, thinks the Blackest Night. And he's challenged him and says that if you ever break out, and I know you will, I'm looking forward to it. You took my father away from me. That means there's no one on Earth who should be scared of me. This issue ends. All right, and that is going to take us into Asriel number 12, written by David Hine, with artwork by Gilliam March, and this is part three of four of the Killer of the Saints storyline. We open with Asriel and Father Day, who meet the Keeper of the Secrets, who is known as Father Grieve, somewhere in Scotland. Grieve asks Day how much Asriel knows, and he tells him he knows pretty much everything. Grieve then explains that the swords that Asriel has represent the order of the purity and what they believe in, all the different kinds of gods, spirituality, Abraham, Lucifer, all that stuff. After Azrael gets that backstory, he asks Grieve who is the Crusader. And Grieve explains that the Vatican at one point was searching for these men who had the unique powers, and they would take them in and give them these special educations where they would learn things like telekinesis and transmutation, and they would learn how to speak with certain kinds of animals. This one man that they choose is the man that is supposedly chosen by the hand of God. And they found this man, and when he was brought to the Pope to prove himself, this man used his powers to kill the Pope and break out. And this man is who the Crusader is. As soon as Grieve finishes telling that story, Crusader breaks in the room. Azrael at first agrees with what the Crusader is saying, but he knows he has to defend himself. They begin to fight. Grieve and Father Day go into another room, and Grieve reveals this copy of the Book of True Revelations. is pointing out everything that has to happen, and that the deaths of the Keepers has to happen in, for, in order for this, for this thing to end. And that would involve the death of Azrael, the death of the Crusader, and Grieve's own death, where he's going to have to give up the secret. The Crusader is is defeating Azrael and is about to finish him off when Grieve comes out and offers himself up to the Crusader and tells him he'll give him the information he wants if only he gets to choose the method that he has killed, which must agree with way, with the Book of True Revelations. And the Crusader agrees and they leave. Day helps Azrael, tells him everything that's happening, and tells him about grieves this whole plan in this final passage of the book tells him that grieve is going to be skinned alive we then cut to the crusader who is standing over grieve who is tied on a table that looks like you know he's on a cross and there's a bunch of blades hovering over grieve and the crusader asks where to begin and that is to be continued don't you just love it when he gives them to you gift wrap birds of prey number five 
Well, after that little incident with Creo and Savant on that damn last issue where they were going to commit suicide, Barbara stopped them, and they all forgave each other. Barbara's decided to help them again and let them back into her confidence. Uh, she takes them to the new headquarters for Oracle, which we're seeing for the first time this issue, which is Cord Tower. Apparently they're not going to be in the Batcave much longer. I suppose that might have something to do with this Return of Bruce Wayne business going on. She says that because they both know where the Batcave is and that's been compromised, she's going to have to do something about that, but it's going to be risky. However, we don't find out what that is because that's all we get of that plotline this issue. Dinah is saying goodbye to Oracle and everyone on the comlink because she's going off with White Canary, and she says that she's going to be gone a while. She made a deal with White Canary last issue that White Canary is going to help her, you know, undo what's been done and save all the people in her life that are being targeted now, like her adopted daughter, Sin, who's away with a foster family. So off to Bangkok they go, and she instructs the birds not to follow them. Uh, Huntress and Zinda, who is recovering in the hospital after all this penguin business, does not take too lightly to that. They want to go ahead and follow her, so follow her. They do the Bangkok, where they are met by Dinah, who says, I told you guys that you're not welcome here. And Dinah is in full white canary uniform. That's the end of that issue. Now, who's behind this little enterprise? All right, so moving on to Batman Beyond number four. We start off the issue right where we ended the issue number three with Catwoman fighting against Hush. We find out that this Catwoman is not Selena Kyle, nor does she have any ties to Selena Kyle or any of the other women who have played Catwoman over the past years. What ends up happening is there's an exchange about how, well, if this isn't, if you're not related to any of the Catwoman, that means you have nothing to do with this, but you're still going to die because you're a villain, and anybody who uses a name of a villain that's tied to Batman is going to die. So out of nowhere, uh, we have a Batman appear who is actually a robot, which we saw in the last issue, and Bruce Wayne is controlling this robot. Basically, what ends up happening is the robot gets knocked out, no longer in use, and and Catwoman decides she's going to start ripping off the bandages off of Hush's face. At some point, we cut to a scene where Amanda Waller has discovered that Dr. Reed has left the facility and is pretty sure that she's going to the police to tell them about this character who broke out of Cadmus Labs. We then cut back to Terry talking with Dick Grayson, and we see a number of different things occur. We, we talk, we find out how exactly Dick and Bruce stopped working together. We find out how Dick stopped being Night, Nightwing. In the middle of this discussion happening, we cut back to Catwoman ripping the bandages off of Hush's face, and what ends up happening is the robot gets knocked out because Hush throws Catwoman into the robot, and Bruce can't see what's going on. The robot ends up throwing some batarangs at Hush, and is just taking it when Hush shoots something into the, the robot's face, making it pretty much break, and then explode. After the explosion, we cut back to Dick Grayson talking to Terry about a number of different things. We find out the, the, the fate of Alfred. Alfred was kidnapped by the Joker. Bruce and Dick went to save him, and we find out that Dick, because Dick didn't have a cape, he did not understand why Bruce always had a cape. The reality of it was the cape was used as a distraction, and the Joker somehow in this entire situation ended up lighting Grayson up with a bunch of bullets from a machine gun, and he was hospitalized 
hospitalized pretty badly. Then Dick gives Terry his alibi and Terry leaves. As soon as Terry gets into the Batmobile and is flying around Gotham City, he gets a phone call from Max, which we know from the animated series. It's just really kind of like a recap of what's going on. Alright, so then the next thing we do is we cut to a scene where we see Mad Stan, who we've also know from the animated series, who sets bombs all over the place. He finds a group of thugs. They're trying to steal some stuff. For some reason, he decides he's going to start beating them up. Hush appears out of nowhere, and turns out Mad Stan is actually Batman in disguise, and they start fighting back and forth. Batman gets stabbed. In the process, after he gets stabbed, he also gets shocked by something that Hush got from Shriek, which we also know from the animated series. And then it was it is revealed that Hush is Dick Grayson. That is the issue. Every punk in this town is scared stiff. They say he can't be killed. They say he drinks blood. Is there a six-foot back in Gotham City? Alright, so let's get into our review wrap-up. We're going to start off with Batgirl number 13. This was kind of a one-off issue. It had some supernatural elements that, you know, some some people don't like. I don't think it was that bad, although at the same point, I don't really think that this broadened the universe of Batgirl except for, you know, included Supergirl. So, with that being said, I don't think it was a bad issue. I am more interested in getting back to the, the normal stuff that we have, so I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5 bets. I thought this issue was a little quirky, but it was kind of fun. Um, Lee Garbett was really good. He's consistent as usual. But there's nothing that really happens here. It's not something that a lot of people, I think, would consider to be a very good comic. But it was fun. I'll give it three out of five batterings. I thought it was fun enough. It actually reminded me a lot of, like, Peter David Young Justice series. Supergirl and Batgirl was just like, we're not taking the situation seriously at all. It kind of spun once in a while when you have a stupid plot and the characters kind of know it's a stupid plot. It was interesting. I'm, I'm kind of tired of like this whole Stephanie Brown's bestie besties with every female character she, she comes into contact with. It's like, you know, I think that she, they kind of need to get their the stamp on who, the, who this girl is, you know, friends with or not. As a one-off issue, I thought it was fun. So I'll give it like four out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batgirl number 13 three out of five batterings. Batman 703. I like this issue a lot. The only thing that I really didn't care for was the art. I thought the art was just kind of really lacking all over it. It was weird. It was a weird mix of like digital coloring and shadowing, and I didn't think that the people looked good. Fabian did a good job. I really like the fact that he, this is definitely an issue where you can tell Dick Grayson's Batman, and I, and I like that. I like the fact that we're getting more development with Damien, especially with his relationship with Bruce. I mean, even though Bruce is not in the issue, they talk about his relationship with Bruce, and I find that fun. And this is a fun done in one. I mean, he wasn't. People weren't getting killed, so it wasn't anything ridiculous. It was just a thief. The Getaway Genius is one of my favorite uh, super obscure Batman villains, just, just, just because I love that name. The only, thing I, the only other thing I didn't like was Dick Grayson giving away his secret identity by threatening Vicky Vale. I thought that was stupid. All that considered, I still really enjoyed it, so I'll give this four and a half out of five better ranks. I thought this issue was pretty good. You know, it wasn't exactly what they solicited. Then again, nowadays, what do we actually get that, that actually follows the solicitation? I thought Fabian did an excellent job with this story, given the fact that he only, he, you know, he had to tell one story in one issue and didn't make it just one of the general, I'm going to catch a bad guy and put the bad guy away. He gave it a more of an emotional twist, which I, I enjoyed. So I'm going to give this one four out of five batterings. I agree. I thought that this was, again, a very enjoyable issue. I thought that Fabian wrote Dick and Damien's relationship really well, and we got to see a much more sensitive side of Damien and this fatherly side of Dick. I thought that there was a lot of good dialogue throughout the issue. 
Cliff Richards, I thought was okay. There definitely was some weird stuff going on with the colors at certain times, but I thought his art was pretty clean, and it was it was all right. So I thought this issue was fun. It was nice to kind of step away from this big overarching event and just read this kind of fun little story. I'll give this three and a half out of five batterings. And Dane on the website gave Batman number 703 four and a half out of five batterings. So that's going to give Batman number 703 four out of five batterings. Batman Odyssey number three. Wow. Overall, I thought this was just a really terrible issue, just like the first two issues were. And I mean, yeah, Neil Adams' artwork is great and wonderful to look at and, on that, and all that good stuff, but honestly, I don't know what he's doing with this story. He needs to stop writing this right now. I thought the interaction between Alfred and Bruce at the beginning of this was just, it was really ridiculous, like how out of character they seem to be, and it kind of just distracted me for the rest of the issue i mean listen neil adams yeah he's i have a lot of respect for the guy he's a great creator but this maxi series is really awful i don't even know what happened in this issue and i read it like three times and i just don't really care just don't see the purpose art's nice to look at but so i will give this half a battering out of five okay i don't really have anything super kind to say either but i Really don't need to elaborate on what Zach's already said, so I'm going to give it uh, one out of five batterings. I would agree 100% with um, Zach here. This, I went from, like, intrigued and confused with this series to confused to confused and very, very frustrated. The cover doesn't even make sense. Like, what? Is that, like, a Riddler cave? And, he, and like, why, why is Batman half red? There's no red, like, coming from there. Okay, Neil Adams is a classic Batman artist. He's an excellent artist in his own right. Now, like, his art is just weird. I said it before when we first went over this, the first issue of this miniseries. The people's facial expressions are, like, all the same. They always have that, that, that little thing with their mouths where they, like, half open to kind of slack-jawedly saying something. And it doesn't work... For the, the, the panels of the context, Alfred has a ginormous head on page three. The, the characterization is, like, completely off. To me, it feels like Neil Adams, you know, retired from the Bat game some years back, came back on a, came back after waking up from a dream and said, I just saw the coolest Batman story ever, and popped this out, which nothing makes sense. Bruce Wayne acts like a child, which is stupid. Like, like there's, there's, Bruce, there's Bruce Wayne written in the 70s. And there's just Bruce Wayne, like, acting pathetically out of character. Uh, bat mask, shielding a bullet from a spit. No. I'll ask again, why is Dick Grayson and Tim Drake's miscolored Robin costume? How can Bruce survive getting machine gun all the way through? I don't care even, I don't care even if they didn't go all the way through. Like, he should still let out from the blood. And the plot is not even a plot. It's just a, a sequence of events. Like, nothing's being, nothing's, nothing's being accomplished. There's no conflict. There's no mystery. The Riddler just shows up out of nowhere laughing at them. And Talia just shows up to kiss Bruce Wayne and says, so I'll get this man in the hospital. Okay, never mind. Neil Adams' artwork is just slightly redeeming, but it's nowhere near redeeming to recommend. I'll give this a straight one out of five batterings. So that's going to give Batman Odyssey number three, one out of five batterings. This is one of my favorite issues of the series so far. I really liked how just going beyond the whole continuity thing with, oh, he fought in Anarchy in General War, and now he's doing it again. I really liked it because it made... Tim, or at least in this issue, Tim is confronting his own decisions and double-guessing himself, but he's doing it in a way that's not simpering or whimpering or anything like that. He's doing himself in a way that I feel is logical, and I really like the way the development of his life is going, you know. And, you know, the art's solid as always. This, there's nothing bad about this issue whatsoever. It was really, really fun, and the only thing I could possibly maybe question that is he get from, like, one end of the city to another in 60 seconds, but it's comic books, man, and if, if there's so much good stuff, just like if there's so much bad stuff outweighs the good, there's so much good stuff that outweighs the best. I'm going to give that five out of five batterings. 
I too also thought the issue was very good. The the story that they're tra- that Fabian's trying to tell is progressing at a nice pace. I don't think that he's leaving anything out, and I think honestly, it's it's interesting. That's that's the most important part is that the story that he's telling is actually interesting. When I read it, I can't wait for the next issue. The art is always great. This book complete turnaround ever since uh, Chris Yost is off the book. Uh, so I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. I thought this was a really enjoyable issue. I think Fabian writes these characters really well, like we all usually say. And I did really like the Anarchy and Red Robin story a lot. And Marcus Toe is consistent as he usually is. Four out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Red Robin number 16 four out of five batterings. Moving into Azrael number 12. Azrael number 12. I was pleasantly surprised with this issue to be completely honest i really like gilliam march on this book i think he's kind of found maybe a niche i've been enjoying his artwork i think with hind coming on this book this book has progressively started to get a little bit better it's still not you know a great book but it has become interesting I really enjoyed the backstory we get on the Crusader. I thought that... Now, having said that, I think this whole scar, this cross that was burned to his face, this thing is really just... That thing is really ridiculous to even look at. Look, Michael Lane, we talk about how we think he's an interesting character that has been poorly used. I still agree with that. I still think that this is not what Michael Lane should be doing. I think we should be seeing, you know, we are getting a new universe, uh, an Asriel universe being kind of introduced into this book, and they're trying to do that, but it's still, there's still something missing here. But I liked the Crusaders backstory, I thought, I think the artwork is really, Gilliam March's artwork is really solid here, but this book is still not, you know, it's not terrific, so I'll be giving this two out of five batterings. Alright, and that's going to give Asriel number 12 a total of two out of five batterings. All right, so moving on to Batman Beyond number four. This issue is kind of interesting. You know, the first three issues I thought were really good. I thought they flowed perfectly. And then we have this issue. I don't really understand what exactly was going on. In the beginning, we had Hush, who in the end of the issue, we find out is Dick Grayson fighting Catwoman. And Batman Robot appears out of nowhere and, and enters the fight. But what's interesting is at the end of the other issue, this starts happening. But then also at the other at the end of the other issue, Dick Grayson was meeting with Terry McGinnis. So how is it these two th- different things were happening at the same time? Like where's Terry? I, I, it just doesn't make any sense. If if these happened at different times, well, where is Terry and what is Terry doing when Bruce has got this robot out on patrol? And how does Terry not know about this stupid thing? It just doesn't make any sense. I like the inclusion of the backstory of how Nightwing stopped being Nightwing and stopped working with Batman. I like the addition of that. I found it kind of interesting. I like these little tidbits that they're giving us, even if they have very little to do with the eventual outcome of this storyline. It's Well, it's the same idea as what we got in Batman Beyond. Not even so much in Batman Beyond, but Return of the Joker, the Batman Beyond movie where we found out how certain characters stopped doing certain things, how they stopped working, you know, how certain events took place that led to this eventual future. Those kind of things are interesting. The only thing is, I would possibly convince Dick Grayson to go apeshit and start killing everybody just so that he could start his own little I'm-gonna-protect-Gotham era. I don't know. I, this doesn't really seem like it's within the same, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's written by the same person. I'm also starting to have a little bit of an issue with the art, but I don't, 
I don't know what that's stemming from. I, I don't, because I look back on some of the past issues and it doesn't really seem like the art's that different. Maybe it's because maybe there's he's spending just a slight bit less time on it and it's just slowly becoming noticeable. I don't know. It just seems like the characters are a lot more scratchy than they were in past issues, even though, and like I said, as I look back, it doesn't look that much different. It wasn't a bad issue but at the same time I don't I can't give it a great rating because it wasn't nearly as good as the last couple and the flow of the book was completely out of out of whack. So I'm gonna give this one a two and a half out of five bad ranks. I thought that this was decent and it was entertaining and I too really enjoyed backstory that they bring in about that Dick gives Terry about why him and Batman stopped working together and that this story was really poorly structured by Adam Beechin with this whole reveal of Dick Grayson being hush and as Dustin had said, you know, they've got the two things going on at once, and you don't know if it's happening at the same time or not. Ryan Benjamin, the first, I didn't really initially like his artwork at the first issue, but he started to grow on me. And then he, there were some problems here in this issue, especially with the way he was drawing Hush, and then the way he draws Hush when Dick is revealed to be Hush, and the body types are completely different. So really, the whole reveal of Dick Grayson being Hush is just really problematic here. It was not introduced smoothly at all but i did enjoy this issue adam beechin didn't really light off any fireworks like he constantly teases us with that he when he talks about this miniseries i enjoyed it despite its flaws and i'll give this three out of five batterings dick grayson has the villain every single book where i read that that ending i never like it and this kind of sunk the issue for me as well and again it's about what continuity this is and it doesn't work either way i don't care to swallow that because it's too stupid i mean oh he was he was injured so he'll become a villain one out of five batterings for me batman beyond number four gets two and a half out of five batterings birds of prey number five don't understand about this book is every single issue has different art it doesn't matter if it's good art bad art horrible art it doesn't make a difference for some reason every single one of these issues have had different art you know when birds of prey was first announced they said ed bennis is gonna be on this book Gail Simone was, oh, I'm teaming up with Ed Bennis. This is the perfect combination because we worked together originally when I worked on Birds of Prey. Oh, it's like we're starting a new series. Oh, this is going to be so great. Ed Bennis hasn't been on the book since, I think, like halfway through issue two. But now they've had, you know, these guest artists come in and they're actually calling them guest artists, even though they're still soliciting Ed Bennis as the artist. They have these guest artists coming in to do the art because Ed Bennis... For whatever reason, either can't keep up. I don't know what the deal is because nobody's saying what the deal is. They're just saying, oh, this issue is going to have this guest artist. It doesn't make any sense. After the last issue of the ridiculous ending to that first story arc, you know, I was really thinking to myself, wow, what are we getting into here? I was really thinking this was going to be something interesting. Instead, they give us a villain who, to us, has no ties to anything in the past. This villain is, you know, it wasn't revealed that White Canary was a character that we know. No, it's a character that Black Canary knows, but no, none of us know. So that that was convenient for nobody. Um, <laughs> I don't Convenient for Gail Simone. Yeah, I, I just think overall this book needs a turnaround. It's, it's starting to lose its its interesting points, and this was supposed to be one of the major relaunches of the year, and it's starting to just go right to the toilet. So I'm I can't give this any more than two out of five batterings. Yeah, for, for a book that, as Dustin talked about, had a lot of promise, it just seems to kind of like they've they've lost their ground, and you wouldn't expect that from somebody like Gail Simone, who seems to be pretty well grounded. 
I don't really have anything more to say about this issue. I didn't particularly think it was very good ish either. The artwork was okay, but I, I too only give this two out of five batterings. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that's like very, very frustrating with new books and new teams is that they always announce, you know, oh, this writer, this artist is going to be on the team. Hooray! And then they turn out it's only going to be for four issues. But um, as it is, this this story was okay. I didn't really have any strong opinions towards it either way, so I'll give it a middle road, two, out of five, two and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to get Bird's Prey number five, two out of five batterings. So that's going to be it for our review wrap-up. Now let's throw over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. and welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. This is Nick and today I'm looking at a book called Birth of the Demon. This is a graphic novel that was published in 1992. It's written by Dennis O'Neill who's a legendary writer and has worked on Batman Detective. He's worked as a group editor on the Batman titles for a while and he's been involved in many other series that have Batman as well as plenty of other heroes in the DC Universe. And the art is provided by Norm Brayfogle, who again has a wealth of experience with Batman, working on similar series to Dennis O'Neill, Shadow of the Bat also. So I feel like we're in very good hands with this story. So let's get on with it and have a look at Ra's al Ghul, or Ra's al Ghul's, origin story. Allow me to introduce myself. I am he who is called Raish al Ghul. The demon's head. I thought you were only a legend. Now, this book is, in fact, the closing of a trilogy of Raish al Ghul books, but this trilogy finishes with an origin tale, this particular book, Birth of the Demon. And it follows on from those two previous books. And in those books, Batman's determined to put an end to Raish al Ghul's reign of terror, not by killing him, but by making it impossible for Raish to revive himself with the Lazarus Pist. Eventually, Raish al Ghul talks to his daughter Talia and discusses his early life. We learn that he was born during the time of the Crusades and Raish was a healer and not a man obsessed with the destruction of the world. I liked this aspect. I thought it showed Raish wasn't always pure evil. Raish was a victim. He's not that different from Batman. He had a tragedy involving a loved one went down a different path to something like Bruce did and he's trying to make the world a better place but feels he needs to purge the world before that can happen reminded me of Ozymandias in Watchmen who also felt like he needed to do some pretty disastrous stuff to get the world restarted and rebuild and I thought uh, Raish's origin was surprising intriguing and I think Raish is easily one of Batman's most intelligent and feared nemesis in his entire rogues gallery. And it's great to get some backstory that did him justice. It's a deeper than average character study for a, a comic book. And the book is all the better for it. And I'm glad that they lived up to such a great character with his backstory. We learn where the Demon's Head title comes from. And Dennis O'Neill manages to answer almost every 
race question you could manage. We see how race is able to rally others to his cause, how the Lazarus Pit really works, and even why race is so obsessed with Batman. Details such as this, uh, Raj saying, Beloved, you know, a, a famous line that Talia is always rolling out. I thought this was pretty good stuff. I liked these details. If you're a fan of the Batman comics or the animated series, you're probably familiar with Rachel Cool. If you've only seen the movie Batman Begins, then that's too bad, since the movie, while good, didn't really get into his origin and his immortality and his daughter. Not to mention they couldn't pronounce his ra- his name right, Raish or Raz, up to you. But either way, you owe it to yourself to check out this book. It does a great job of explaining how Raish came to be who he is, and make great use of some symbolism to show how Raish's mind works. His struggle against the Batman is just a reflection of a larger struggle against what he considers to be his true enemy, death. It's too bad that the lesser characters aren't much more than cliches. Sora, who's one of the wives whose death is a bit predictable from the moment she calls her husband beloved, she, you know she's just there to die from the start. And there were some moments that Raz's origin was a little confusing as to his parentage, for instance, but I still enjoyed the story. It's recommended for comprehensive Batman collections, and it's recommended probably because more it has more importance than just being an average book. It focuses on... Raish, one of Batman's great villains, and it's great to see this origin story, which, to be honest, I wasn't that aware of until I got round to this book. I think it's quite a hidden gem. I loved the epic scope of the story with involving the deserts and the, the epic love stories. I thought that was all brilliant. Very little of Bruce in this book, but still, that wasn't really needed. The art is magnificent. It's one of the most colourful Batman tales I've read. Lots of colour. The final confrontation between Roz and Batman is stunning on the last few pages. With some epic double pages, some great moments. In particular, one with Bruce with a shovel in his chest. However, it's still missing a little something to make it a 5 out of 5 Batarang. So I'll be giving it 4.5 out of 5 Batarangs. Good book. Please do check it out. Anger does not change the fact that your father failed to act. The man had a gun. Did that stop you? I've had training. The training is up. Now, I'm going to get out of here pretty quick, but before I go, just to let you know, I'm, I will have posted up the next group of Bat books that I'll be reviewing, so get ahead there and make sure you keep up with me. Um, and next time, I'll be looking at Batman Year 3. And this is a period where we see Bruce recovering from the tragic recent death of Jason Todd. So look forward to that. I've been Nick. You can email me at nick at thebatmanuniverse.net and I look forward to getting some of your emails. And now I'll send you back to Dustin and the guys. Enjoy. Humankind must be forced to serve the planet instead of its own appetites. And you're the one who'll do the forcing? All right, so that was BBFB. Make sure you pick up the book for the next episode. Let's move into what we'll be covering next time on the podcast. We will be covering Batman Streets of Gotham number 16, Superman Batman number 76, Detective Comics number 869, Gotham City Sirens number 16. That's all, so only four books. So we might try to come up with an idea for a discussion for the next podcast. So if you want to you want to suggest us a, a discussion for us, send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net and let us know your ideas. Speaking of which, 
You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos. You can follow the website every day. Almost every day there's there's news reporting uh, around the comic book world about Batman, as well as all the other aspects of Batman. You can send us an email at podcast.thebatmanuniverse.net. You can leave us a review on iTunes. And, of course, you can also join the forums. And if you are having an issue with joining the forums, just send us an email and we'll make sure to approve your screen name. With that being said, that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Zach. And this is Don. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care. Good night. message after the beep. This is an urgent call. Please try me on my beeper. Yeah, yeah, beeper, because this is 1992. I was just going to say, <laughs> if you seriously have a beeper. <laughs> That's what was amusing about it. Alright. Anyway. There seems to be a lot of... <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, he's pretty much the go-to guy for most... <laughs> really? <laughs> I can hear myself on... <laughs> On Josh's phone. Zach of Earth. He's got speakerphone. Uh, uh, it was supposed to be muted. I'm, I'm sorry. So, some tried to call on the other line, and apparently that, like, cancels out the mute. Then. That interview came off as, like, almost pointless. Like, let's see. Oh, yeah. So, Bruce Wayne, Batman's coming back. Well, this affects all the Batman titles, including yours? Yes. So, will this story take place after the last story that was published about her? Yes. Remember how they were setting up Flame Bird to be used? She's going to be used like you set up, right? Yeah. Okay, so anyway, half that has to be edited out. That's <laughs> no. Aha. Uh-huh. This time... Follow your whole... What? <laughs> Just shut up, Josh. That... Just shut up. This <laughs> <No>, can... <laughs> is why the podcast takes so freaking long to record. Anyway. A, a numb scholar. Expect to see lots of ice and a lot of cream. And maybe this yeah, was the, again, and again. again the, wait, really? wait! I I award Donovan with the gayest statement ever said on this podcast. <laughs> I've been trying. I really hope he doesn't listen to this podcast after <laughs> his interview. And you're listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast.